Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. I'd like to invite you to find a Bible, whether it's on your phone or an actual Bible, and turn with me to the book of Colossians in the New Testament, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 12. The book of Colossians, chapter 3, starting in verse 12. We are continuing our in-depth study of the fruit of the Spirit. In his letter to uh, the Galatians, Paul says that Christians are like fruit-bearing trees or fruit-bearing vines. Uh, Because we have the Holy Spirit, we will grow in things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in these challenging times that we find ourselves in, we thought it would be good to remind ourselves each Sunday that God is still at work among us and in us. Growth is never on hold for the Christian. Never on hold for the Christian. In fact, it's in times like these that God often grows us the most. And so what we're doing is we're encouraging us to view this season as a greenhouse for growth rather than a bunker for survival. A greenhouse for growth rather than a bunker for survival. We've already explored what it would look like to grow in love, to grow in joy, peace, and last week patience. Today we are looking at kindness. Kindness is a mark of a true Christian who has the Holy Spirit. But what does kindness actually mean and how can we cultivate the conditions for this growth of kindness to occur? Well, to answer that, I want to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I'll read, you can follow along, we'll pray, and we'll ask God uh, to reveal what he wants for us this morning. This is God's word. Put on then, or put on therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we would not just learn information, but by your Holy Spirit, we would receive transformation from you. Lord, that by your Spirit, you would not... Uh, We would not just understand kindness, but that we would actually receive your kindness and taste your kindness and delight in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I complained to you about my yard, my backyard, and so I might as well give you an update. Not much has changed. I don't know if that surprises you, which is sad because it hasn't always been that way. It's still just lots of dirt, but it hasn't always been that way. When we moved into our house almost 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, the the yard was lush. It was actually one of the best on the street. Uh, But gradually, weeds and clover started to just take over, which actually, and this might have been my problem, that was okay with me because when you squinted, it was all the same color. (laughs) At least everything was green, I thought. 
But now there's just a bunch of dirt patches everywhere you look. Why is that? Well, I have a theory. I have a theory. A few summers ago, I sprayed something on my yard I got from the store that promised to kill things like clover and other weeds, even as it fertilizes the grass. I don't know how that's possible. And so my theory, though, is that that spray worked as advertised. It killed the weeds, and in its place today is dirt. Now, if I'm right, if my theory's right, that means that even though my yard looks worse, in a way, and this is what I keep telling myself, it's more authentic. It's a more authentic yard, right? Because it's more real grass, and it's no more counterfeit grass. Well, this week I had a thought. I wondered if the same thing could be said about my spiritual life about the spiritual fruit in my life. If my heart is like a yard, how much growth is real growth and how much is just counterfeit? In other words, how much am I growing in real love, real joy, real peace, real patience, real kindness, and how much growth isn't growth from the Holy Spirit, but is just really just self-generated weeds that look like love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and so on. I mean, what if what I think is spiritual fruit is actually just my temperament, you know, just some combination of nature and nurture? What would happen, in other words, if there was some kind of spiritual weed killer that would eliminate everything that isn't rooted in the Spirit? What would I find? Author Tim Keller, he says that each spiritual fruit has a counterfeit version. And I totally agree. He defines counterfeit kindness, what we're looking at today, as manipulative good deeds. Counterfeit kindness is manipulative good deeds. And I think we all know what he says and all know what he means. We use kindness to manipulate others for our own gain. And so kindness actually becomes a kind of powerful manipulative tool in our life. Just think about it. Kindness can get us what we want from others, unlike anything else. Sometimes when we're shopping, we're kind to the employee, not because we want to bless them, but because we think our kindness will give us better service. That's counterfeit kindness. Kindness can avoid conflict with others. If you think about it in your life, some of us hate conflict, and so we hide behind kindness instead of engaging in important disagreement. That, too, is counterfeit kindness. Kindness can make us feel better than other people. Uh, and so we, some of us are kind because... We feel morally superior to other people who we think are less kind. And it's a way for us to feel better. We can outkind our Facebook friends, or we can outkind our abrasive coworkers, or even our closest family members like our spouses. And we feel like we have some moral high ground. This too is a kind of counterfeit kindness. Kindness can be passive aggression towards others. Sometimes we're kind, again, not out of an other-centered concern, but out of an anger or a resentment. Uh, we're mad that our roommate doesn't take out the trash, and so what do we do? 
We, we kill them with kindness, right? We kill them with kindness. We even say that. Uh, we're mad at them. And so we take out the trash every single week, making sure they hear it all from the beginning to the door slamming behind you. They hear about it from you. Why? Not to bless or to give, but because you're just angry. Maybe we say yes to the, the church volunteer need. Not because we feel called to it, but because we're mad at everybody else for not volunteering like they should. In other words, if we take honest inventory of our heart and our kindness, I just wonder how much of our yard is weeds. And see, what God wants to do is he wants to grow in his people real kindness. Kindness that's not self-centered, but Others-centered. Kindness that is not self-generated, but spirit-generated. And so let me just ask, before we start, what is real kindness? Well, the best definition of real kindness that I've heard is this, and I'll say it twice because it's worth writing down. Practical kindness with vulnerability out of a deep inner security. Practical kindness with vulnerability out of a deep inner security. It says kindness is practical and that it comes from two places, vulnerability and a deep inner security. And I think all three of those qualifiers are super important. Real kindness is practical. That means that it's not just an attitude, but an action. It's not just being kind, but doing kind. And then second, real kindness is vulnerable. We don't do kind acts sometimes when it's advantageous for us or when it's easy for us. We do kind acts always, especially when it's a real danger to be kind or when it exposes us. Real kindness is vulnerable. And then thirdly, real kindness is inside out. The motive for kindness matters. Real kindness flows from a heart that is settled and secure. Real kindness, this real kindness, is exactly what Paul is describing in Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit. The word there that he uses is, in the Greek, Christotes. Uh, this word is defined in the Greek lexicon for the New Testament as being helpful. And I love that. Kindness is being helpful. Which I found a far more challenging definition of kindness than just kind of being chill. That's how I would have thought of kindness before this study. I would have thought, okay, what is kindness? It's kind of having a chill disposition. Oh, he's kind. She's kind. But no, kindness is being helpful. Helpful. And as I've learned in my life, that I can be chill and unhelpful at the same time. And so that's not kindness. In fact, Jesus uses the adjective version of kindness, the word kind, to describe his way of life, to describe his teaching. He says, for my yoke is easy. The word there is kind. For my yoke is kind and my burden light. A yoke was what work animals would put um, around their body to pull a plow. And Jesus says that when we put on his way, like a yoke, it's not burdensome and heavy. It doesn't chafe. It's fundamentally what? It's fundamentally kind. It's kind. 
The way of Jesus is kind. Uh, one 17th century theologian compared the kind yoke of Jesus to feathers on a bird. And I love this. Feathers are laid upon a bird, aren't they? But they are kind. They are fundamentally kind because they lift the bird up. They don't weigh the bird down. They help the bird become what the bird is made to do, which is to fly. And the same is with the kindness of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus' followers. It helps. It lifts. In fact, if we are searching for the best definition of kindness, then it's actually not a phrase, but it's a person. It's Jesus himself. Biblical scholar Christopher Wright says it best. He says, and I'm quoting him, Jesus was kindness on two legs. Think of the woman with bleeding, interrupting him on the way to an urgent medical emergency. Think of the parents bringing their children when his disciples were wanting to get on with their private lessons. Think of blind Bartimaeus who kept shouting over the crowd until Jesus stopped. Think of the Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't, think, uh, wouldn't take no for an answer. Think of the woman who anointed his feet at a meal and scandalized the host. Even in Jesus' excruciating agony on the cross, he was thinking of the needs of his mother. And after his resurrection, he knew that hungry fishermen needed a good breakfast after a night at sea. Jesus was kindness on two feet. And that's real kindness. The kindness that God will grow and wants to grow and is growing in his people. Not the counterfeit kind, but the real kind. And so if you're like me, you're probably wondering how we can indeed grow in this kind of real kindness. We recognize the counterfeit in our life and we want the real thing. So how do we do that? Well, on the one hand, uh, we must affirm that only God grows the real thing. And yet we must also affirm in Scripture that God calls us to cultivate good growing conditions for the fruit as well. So in other words, there's two dangers to avoid when talking about this. The first is that we would just merely grunt work this growth in our life, which denies God. And the second is total passivity, which denies our agency at all. And so Paul avoids this false choice in Philippians 2, actually. Uh, he says in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So does God grow the fruit? Yes. Yes. Do we cultivate good growing conditions? Yes. If so, how? Well, how can we cultivate good growing conditions for real kindness? Well, Paul gives us more details about this in his letter to the Colossian church that we just heard read aloud. In fact, this letter, I think, is a good companion letter to Galatians because in it, Paul's talking about a lot of the same things. And so one of the best commentaries to the book of Galatians is the book of Colossians and vice versa. And Paul actually uses the same word for kindness in the passage we just heard that he uses in Galatians 5 verse 22 about the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul essentially tells us at the beginning of this passage, verse 12, how we can cultivate real kindness. He, his word for it is put on, put on. He says it in the very beginning of verse 12, put on therefore kindness. Put on kindness. How do we put on real kindness? How do we cultivate the fruit even as God gives the growth? Well, three things I want to just briefly touch on 
this morning. First, we cultivate the conditions for real kindness by resting in our union with Christ. Resting in our union with Christ. Look at verse 1 again. It says, put on then, or put on therefore. Now that therefore tells us that everything that he's about to say flows from an already established fact. An already established point that he argued and set aside, and now he is saying, therefore, in light of this truth, this bedrock, what can we build? Well, what is that point? Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 is exactly what he's referencing. I'll read these verses, and as I read them, I want you to even underline, if you're using a Bible, um, or at least pay attention to all of the statements in this passage that relate to our union with Jesus. Verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Jesus, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There are three settled realities about our union with Christ in this passage. The first is that we have died with Christ. If your faith is in Jesus, and roughly 2,000 years ago, the old you died. That's what Paul's saying. The you that was enslaved to sin, the you that was represented by Adam, who introduced sin and suffering and slavery into the world, the you that was headed towards eternal death. But now, because you are united to Jesus in his death, that you is dead as well. Crucified on the same cross that crucified Jesus. That's a settled fact, friends. The old you is not the real you. You are united in his death. So then who is the real you? Well, Paul tells us, according to Paul, the real you is the you that is raised with Jesus. That means that if your faith is in Jesus, then you are currently, right now, in some mysterious way that Paul is comfortable with, united to the Je- to, you're united to Jesus in his resurrection. In his new life. And so the old you is dead in Christ's cross. The real you, the new you, the the authentic you is alive in Christ. Today. And that is settled according to Paul. It's just settled. There's no contingency here in verses 1 through 4. It's settled. You have been raised with Christ. You have new life because Jesus is alive. And you are united to Jesus. And then third, Paul says that we are actually hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. That means that we're so tightly bound in union with Jesus that we are safe, we are secure. Left to ourselves, what do we do? What do we do? We hide ourselves with with fig leaves. And those fig leaves are things like our career, our relationships, our financial portfolio, our, our, our appearance, our diet, whatever it is. And like our parents, Adam and Eve, we sort of hide our shame with these fig leaves But in Jesus, we hide no more. We hide no more. We are hidden with Jesus in God. We are in his care forever. We are united to Jesus. And what we do to grow in kindness, because Paul says, put on therefore kindness, connecting the put on kindness to the therefore, which is our union with Christ, 
when we are united with Jesus, when we're hidden with Christ, then we rest and are able, therefore, to kind to other people. We put on, in other words, clothes that match our identity in Christ, the true you, who you are, really, right now, in Jesus. Rankin Wilborn, a pastor in the West Coast, he describes Christian growth as like a boy growing into his father's clothes. And I love this image. Last week, actually, I was given my dad's jacket. My mom gave it to me, uh, which, was my dad, which was my dad's dad's jacket before him. And so I'd like to imagine if I gave this jacket, which is hanging in this closet right now, if I gave it to one of my sons today, like today, right now, if I just gave it to them as a gift, it would be big, it would be baggy, it would be ill-fitting, but that doesn't mean it isn't his. He just has to grow into it. And the same is true with kindness. We are united to Jesus. This is a settled fact. We have been united to Jesus, and therefore we have been given his kindness. The very spirit that unites us to Jesus is the spirit that is growing kindness in us. Do you see the connection? Kindness, Jesus' kindness, real kindness, is like a jacket that we've been given. And now we grow into that jacket. That's what we do. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. The same Spirit who unites us to Jesus will grow us into this gift. So we rest. We rest in our union with Jesus. That's how we begin cultivating the conditions of growth for kindness. What else? Well, we cultivate the conditions for real kindness by tasting God's goodness. Tasting God's goodness. The key phrase in verse 12 of chapter 3 is, as God's chosen ones. So what does Paul says? He says, so therefore put on, and then he gives a little bit of identity markers about who he's talking to. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And he's saying, you are God's chosen ones. Put on kindness as God's chosen ones. Don't overlook this phrase. This is explosive. This is huge. Paul is telling the Colossians, these new believers who didn't have probably Hey, Hebrew Old Testament. And he's probably saying to these new believers, these new Jesus followers, they encountered uh, Jesus, and he's saying, you know what? This may not make total sense to you right now, but you, I, I'm connecting you to the Old Testament people of God and to the status that they had as God's chosen ones. Just like Israel in the Old Testament, they are God's chosen ones. And the Old Testament is adamant about election being by grace, sheer grace and kindness. And so listen to Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy or set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. There's that word, chosen you. Why? To be a people for his treasured possession. Think about a possession you have that you treasure. Like I just talked about my dad's jacket. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number, more impressive than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you catch that? Translation of this would simply be, the Lord loves you. Because he loves you. One pastor put it, 
God loves you because he loves you. Let that sink in. Let that sink in because that's not how the world works. The world works like this. God loves you or so-and-so loves you because you did this or you promised to do this or you are like this. God just says, I love you because I love you. And that is kindness, especially when we are honest about our, our life and we're honest about how we have come to God and how we have avoided God and how we've rebelled against God. When we take honest stock of our heart for God to just say, I love you. I chose you. You're my chosen one. You're my treasured possession. Why? Because I love you. That is tasting his kindness. That is tasting his kindness. And friends, Paul is telling the Colossians about their new status here. Because he knows that nothing will motivate real kindness like God's kindness. Every time somebody leaves our house um, here, my wife, she insists that we stand outside and we see them off with a wave. And really just stay there until the car drives away completely. All the way. And I always go back inside, or at least I'm tempted to go back inside um, and shutter the windows and turn off the porch light. And just kind of um, enter into my introverted sort of cave space. Uh, but Josie stands there and waits and waves until the car is far off into the distance. And I never understood why she did this and frankly how she could do this. <laughs> how she had the sort of social energy to last those extra like 30 seconds. Um, you know, if you visited our house out there, it's not, I love you guys and I love that you visited. There's this moment though when you walk through the door where I shut down. My wife does not. She does not. She stays and she waves. I never understood this until we left her parents' house one day and they did the same thing to us, the same exact thing. And I have to say, it felt so good and it always does. When we leave and you can look out your rearview mirror and they're still standing there, that feels good. And so Josie told me, she said, I've been given this my whole life and it feels good. And so that's why I do it to other people. That's how real kindness works. Do you see it? We receive real kindness, a kindness from God himself, perfect kindness, and it registers in us and it therefore will not stay with us. You know, this is really how we know if we're alive to God or not. If we, the way we know we're alive to God is if his kindness registers us in such a way that it translates to kindness in other people's lives. Because we might think we don't need kindness. We might think we're pretty awesome by ourselves. It's only people who are broken by their need and recipients of God's gracious kindness that therefore become real kind in their life. So we taste the unmerited grace and kindness of God. I want you to listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, this is a man who, if you just know anything about his life in the Gospels, who betrayed Jesus, was a mess, and he therefore knew the kindness of Jesus. He knew it at the deepest level, probably more than we ever will. And listen to what he writes in his letter. He says, get rid of all evil behavior. And we're like, okay, that makes sense. Like, that sounds like biblical. That sounds biblical. Get rid of evil behavior. But listen to how he roots this and how he kind of anchors this. He says, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech, to which we say, amen. And then he goes, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into full experience, a full experience of salvation. He says, cry out for this nourishment. 
now that you have had a taste of God's kindness. Peter is saying, I have had a taste of God's kindness. Now that you have had a taste of God's kindness, cry out for nourishment. Grow in maturity, which is to say, be kind, which is to say, acts of practical kindness out of a place of vulnerability. Remember, from a deep, settled state, which takes us to our third point. We can cultivate the conditions for kindness, real kindness, by settling into our new identity. The key phrase in verse 12 here is holy and beloved. So he calls us his chosen ones, and then he says, we are holy and beloved. Now this is more explosive than you might think on first uh, glance. These are words that God the Father declared over God the Son at his baptism. The Father says, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the rest of the New Testament talks often about how Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the Chosen One. So all three of these words are most fully um, manifested in the, in the reality of Jesus and who he is. And then at the baptism, as we said, the Father says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then from this place of deep security, Jesus goes out into mission. Think about this. Before Jesus ever accomplished his mission that he came uh, to this world he made, uh, before he even started this mission, he had the deep affirmation and love of God, his Father. He's able to be interrupted throughout his ministry. He's able to extend the real kindness. Remember, he's kindness on two feet. Why? Because he has no lack. And so it is explosive that Paul would apply these very words to God's people, chosen, holy, beloved. And he can do this because of what he said in verses 1 through 4. We are hidden in Christ. By faith, we are given the same status as Jesus, even in our sinfulness. In other words, the gospel, which is radical, gives us a staggering security in the very depths of our heart, a new and mighty identity. Before my sons go out for a sporting event or before they go out for an academic test, I try and remember to tell them I love you no matter what. Why do I do that? Now, look, I would say, <laughs> I would say uh, you, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. But that's kind of weird maybe, and I'm already a pastor, so I have to sort of tone it down. But the point is this. I want them to know before they go out so they don't try and play the sport or take the test in order to gain my attention or my affection. But in freedom and in joy and in boldness. And that's what deep security does. It issues in freedom, joy, and boldness. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to settle in to our identity as God's chosen, God's beloved. And then we go out and we love. And we're kind. Kindness will not flow out if we're looking to other people to fill us up. If we're trying to be okay because of how other people think of us, that will kill your kindness. Many of us are using others in order to feel okay at the deepest core of our identity, but that will kill your kindness. Instead, settle into your identity in Christ and let him be your okayness and let him empower real kindness. And so, to close, I just want to try to make this practical as possible. 
The way that we can cultivate the conditions for real kindness is by resting in our union with Christ, right? Tasting the kindness of God and settling into our new identity. But let me suggest one simple way to apply this in your life right now. Think about doing this when you wake up first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, I want you to ponder the kindness of Jesus in your life. Think of one kindness. You probably could think of many. I mean, the riches of verse 12 and the statements that are applied to you is a good place to start. That's kindness. And I want you to hold on to that. I want you to make it an image or a word. An image or a word. And hold on to that image or word. And then, when you are interrupted uh, during the day, when, um, when kindness seems like it's in short supply, the real kind, then I want you to just take a deep breath and remember that word. Remember that kindness. In that moment, then, God will empower you to extend real kindness to that person. It's the kindness of God that leads us to be kind to others. And then as you think about those in your life for whom it is difficult to be kind, I want you to imagine their future with Jesus, their eternal future with Jesus. And I want you to think creatively how you can add feathers to their life. Feathers. Remember, uh, feathers on a bird don't weigh somebody down, but lift them up into who they were created to be. So how can you add feathers to, to this person's life in light of where God is building them? As, as one pastor puts it, their future resurrection self. As you think about them in glory, without sin, new heavens and new earth, think about them. Use your creative imagination to go there. And then right now, as you find it difficult to be kind to that person, think about ways in which you can practically add feathers to their life. Add feathers. Ways that you can partner with God to bless them practically. Kindness. Real kindness. This is the heartbeat of the mission of our church. Our church's mission is to extend the, the welcome of Jesus. Jesus is kindness on two legs. See, when we're kind, we're actually showing the world who we serve. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would indeed grow real kindness in our life, especially now especially today. So we begin by looking at your kindness. We hold on to that kindness. We want it to transform us and flow through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to receive. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.